G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. A special hour ahead of us today on 2020, looking into issues to do with this weekend's New South Wales state election. And we have assembled, as I have been saying, our own expert panel today to talk through some of the issues that you might be interested in, not just in New South Wales, but right around Australia. Let's introduce our panel. First of all, welcome along to Mark Makovietsky, who is the New South Wales State Director for the Australian Christian Lobby. Hello, Mark. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers. Hi, Neil. John Anderson, former Nationals leader and former Deputy Prime Minister. Hello. And to Roz Phillips, Family Voice Australia. Hello, Roz. Good to be with you, Neil. Well, it is great to have all of you available for input into this hour. And uh, we want to work through a fairly substantial agenda of items today because listeners will be intensely interested in what will happen this weekend with the state election, not just listeners in New South Wales, but listeners right around Australia. Let's start with Mark McAviet who's the New South Wales Director for the Australian Christian Lobby. Mark, you guys have been working very hard in the lead-up to the election, a lot of pre-election forums, make-it-count events. Uh, Can you give us some indication, Mark, the number of events that you've staged and whether you've noticed any particular trends and what the big issues might be that New South Wales voters will vote on this weekend? Sure. So um, we've held nine uh, nine meet your candidates forums across the state. Uh, we've had some up north in uh, in Coffs Harbour and Newcastle, Swansea and Charlestown, down south in Wollongong. Um, we've also been to the Blue Mountains, Oatley, Seven Hills, and tonight we have one in Parramatta. So um, I would say that the Christian constituency has slightly different concerns um, to the general populace, although there's obviously an overlap. Um, so obviously the uh, Electricity privatisation is a big one that comes up consistently. But Christians are more so interested in in the stances on euthanasia, uh, abortion, uh, safe schools program, things like that, things that are really going to impact their faith and their children in the coming four years. Would you say, Mark, that the economic issues have been the, the dominant issues that people have been talking about, or are these other uh, social justice and morality issues, are they, as you say, a little perhaps different to a secular voter than what a Christian voter might appreciate? Yeah, that's true. So, uh, as we all know, Sydney, Sydney living and, and living in New South Wales is, is quite expensive. So... Uh, the bottom line is is what's going to uh, hurt the hip pocket. The, those financial considerations are foremost in the in the minds of the voters. Uh, but also, yeah, people understand that if they you know living in New South Wales isn't just about having money in your pocket. It's about having a, a vital and happy place to live. And this is where the Christians really uh, come to the fore, trying to make uh, legislation much more compassionate and uh, and just. 
Mark, while we're talking about Make It Count events, the work of the Australian Christian Lobby in the lead-up to the election, one of those events had the two primary leaders, the Premier Mike Baird and the opposition leader Luke Foley. Uh, they addressed uh, church leaders. How did that event go and uh, is, is that still resonating around uh, people you're talking to? It went really well. We had about 350 people there at, at Village Church in Annandale and it was... Um, According to Sean Nichols of the Sitting Morning Herald, he found it uh, quite refreshing. And in fact, he gave us a, a, a good article in, in the paper. Uh, it was more of a personal, uh, personal for well, uh, an issue uh, went back to personal issues. So Mike Baird would tell his his story of how he trained to be a pastor and how he followed his father Bruce Baird into politics. Uh, and he came became quite emotional while he was speaking about young people and their inherent worth and how. Due to difficult life circumstances, they often didn't uh, see that in themselves, and and so uh, that was it was really refreshing to see them take off the you know political mask and and stand there as as men of faith. Uh, Luke Foley also addressed us, and he told us how his middle name was Aquinas, and that he was he was uh, you know he'd done a bit of reading uh, of Thomas Aquinas, and uh, he said that religion can and should well up in the body politic and make a contribution to our public discourse. And he holds that the dignity of human beings as a foundation of public policy um, is is the fundamental uh, consideration with regards to politics. And spoke of civilizing capitalism, and he also uh, was became quite uh, open about his his past and mentioned how he'd been abandoned by his father at age eight, and how that's uh, impacted him. So. Uh, there is certainly still discussion about it, but uh, as we all know, they're just two men who are leading the political parties, but uh, with our, our smaller forums, that's all about uh, the entire parliament, and that's where it's important for Christians in their local electorate to come out and make make their vote count. We'll come back to a number of these issues and the economic issues as well, but let's hear from uh, other members of our panel today uh, talking about the leaders, uh, talking about Mike Baird and Luke Foley and the way they addressed uh, that particular Make It Count forum. Uh, first of all, Jenny Stokes, your thoughts on how those leaders performed on that night and uh, your perspectives on their Christian faith and does it make a difference to the way that they conduct themselves? Well, I think it's important, um, you know, the faith, the faith issue, and we often don't, we don't often have a situation where both leaders are, 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 have a, a Christian faith. So that, that's an important thing. I think it's significant, um, and I think we have to look beyond the, the personal level as well and see that they are leaders of the party. And so when we come to actually vote, we need to consider what party policies are and how a party might perform and how they might vote on some of the. the the moral and ethical issues that we're concerned about um, as a party. And so, you know, you've always got to look at the candidates individually, and in this case the leader and their their position, but also keep that in in the perspective of how does the party perform and what are the party's um, philosophies and, and doctrines and so on as well. John Anderson is a former leader of the Nationals and a former Deputy Prime Minister. And as a strong Christian, uh, does it make a difference that the leader of a political party holds to a Christian faith in the way that they conduct themselves and certainly in the way that they might vote on sensitive issues? I think the answer to that is that it can make a difference and it should make a difference, but it doesn't always make a difference. Um, <clears throat> it's surprising how many people of 
faith uh, conviction still somehow have bought this idea that they ought to leave their faith behind at the cabinet table or whatever. You know, they segment private from public faith. Uh, to be fair, um, I think it's remarkable that both men were prepared to own their faith. I gather on the night Mike Baird was a little more reluctant actually to be open about what he believed than was Luke Foley. But generally speaking, both have been prepared to indicate that they are men of faith and that they think that matters and has a place in the public square. Uh, pity helpless if it doesn't. Uh, no civilization has arisen without a belief system. The fact that our secular society madly thinks being an empty vacuum, you know, uh, is an adequate sort of way forward in a world as dangerous as ours is to me truly staggering. Ros Phillips from Family Voice Australia. Ros, you have been monitoring from a Christian perspective uh, elections now for the past 40 years. Uh, what you've been seeing in New South Wales, uh, how does it reflect on uh, when, it, when we come to the, the faith of leaders? Is this an important thing that you've noticed over many uh, decades now? Well, Neil, what we've noticed over many decades is that originally when we started asking questions, uh, Christian MPs were quite happy to reveal that they were pro-life, pro-family and would vote on particular issues in ways that honoured marriage and the life of unborn children. These days, there's much less openness. Um, John referred to Mike Baird being a little reluctant to reveal his own faith at first and he, in fact, has said publicly that although he is a committed Christian, uh, that won't affect his uh, policies and, and views from a party perspective. And that's very sad. In fact, we're finding that with our surveys, we try to contact every single candidate and all the major parties. And the major parties are happy to reply with their party policies, but they don't give any indication, of course, on conscience issues like euthanasia and abortion. And they seem to be ordering their candidates not to give a personal reply. We've had very, very few personal replies from major party candidates. Independents and people like that do reply. But these days, I think parties are afraid that if voters knew how people stood on controversial issues, there might be a smear campaign or something like that. And so they just won't reveal where they stand. Very sad. Let's briefly touch on some of the economic issues facing New South Wales. Uh, one of the big controversies, of course, has been the poles and wires issue, the privatisation. Uh, let's hear uh, first from uh, from Mark uh, Makovietsky. Mark, this has been one of the dominant issues. Uh, have you been monitoring along uh, the uh, public perception of this privatisation? I have. Uh, like I said, that this is one of the things that consistently comes up at these forums. Uh, it's held by both Christians and people on the outside. They're both uh, really concerned about it. There's actually been a strong push by the Liberals over the past week or so to counter the union campaign against it. They've realised that they were, they were losing that argument, and so they've come out and, and stressing that it's 49% of the electricity assets, that it's a 99-year lease, and that it's there to fund the infrastructure that Sydney, uh, well, they, they hold that Sydney needs. So uh, they're pushing back. Um, now there's, there's fear-mongering about uh, the, a Chinese-owned company um, bidding for it, the State Grid Corp, and that's also embroiled in uh, allegations of corruption. So uh, it's, it's a very colourful topic. Uh, people are kind of sick to death of it, but it, they are intensely interested.
Uh, let me ask John Anderson, former Nationals leader, former Deputy Prime Minister. John, you were a part of the Howard government that pushed through the privatisation of Telstra. Are there any similarities in the privatisation issues here in the New South Wales uh, electorate? Well, at one level, yes. At another level, no. Um, people didn't like the privatisation of Telstra. I should tell you I supported it because I didn't think the telephone company was a good thing in the tax, for the taxpayers to own. I could see real value in it, but I could see that value declining over time. And I don't buy the line that you have to own it to control it. I, I was the Minister for Aviation. You couldn't fly a plane in or out of Australia into any of our airstrips if I didn't uh, you know, approve the licensing arrangements. You couldn't register a car in Australia. Uh, if I didn't approve the ADRs, we set the standards. We could withhold licences if people weren't doing things the way we wanted them done. Uh, but we didn't own a car factory. We didn't own an aeroplane factory or an airline. So I don't buy the control bit either. The um, <clears throat> What strikes me, uh, I'll tell you what is dissimilar though. The debate about Telstra was robust, but it was not as horrendously dishonest as this campaign has been. Uh, don't take my word for it. Paul Kelly is the most respected and seasoned um, you know, observer of political life in Australia, uh, and he wrote last week that this has been the most dishonest campaign in the last uh, half century in this country. And he made the specific point that it was in response to the integrity that Baird had displayed in setting out his agenda for the next term. What's the moral of the story? Well... The moral of the story is you just won't get decent people in this country putting their hand up to serve in public life uh, if, on the one hand, people demand greater honesty, but on the other hand, if voters then reward dishonesty. Uh, Jenny Stokes Stokes from Salt Shakers, uh, do you have other things to add? We often talk about integrity and honesty in politics. Uh, Your thoughts on on the way that particular economic issue has been handled and uh, misinformation and scare campaigns? Well, I think, I think what we often see is that, that if one side picks it up, say in this case the union movement, then you're actually getting, getting a run in the media with particular, a particular thing. It's often very difficult then to actually present the other side and, uh, as John said, to have, to have an article outlining uh, what was really happening for Paul, Paul Kelly I think is incredibly helpful. The problem is that most people won't get to read the article. And so, you know, I, I think there's some of those things that, that there are cases around the nation. Here in Victoria, we've had privatisation of various things. In the, in the railways, it was like, you know, we'll sell them off, then we'll have them back and, and, uh, and so on. So it's actually gone back and forward, um, you know, on, on say, the, the ownership of railways and lines and other things. So, you know, in, in, in many states we've gone around that. It's been made a big issue. And yet, I think, as John said, it's the control issue. We can control and regulate and do all of those things. Um, outside of whether the ownership itself is is a state-based thing. And Ros Phillips from Family Voice Australia, while we're talking about integrity in politics and uh, the scare campaigns, uh, the honesty, uh, this sort of thing, over the last 40 years of your monitoring along political campaigns, both state and federally, have you noticed any trends by way of honesty and integrity? Well, as I said... Uh People are much less, or candidates and parties are much less willing to say up front before the election what they'll do because they're afraid of backlashes. Um, and the result is that on our surveys, um, unless people reply on their own and, and are honest and up front, it, it's not so easy these days to tell where people stand. For example, the score out of 100 for the Labour Party was 39 on our issues. And for the Liberals, 
it wasn't much more, only 43. You might say that both of them failed. They certainly did better than the Greens, but it was only the Christian Democratic Party that answered openly and honestly that uh, they would support all the measures we put forward and scored 100. A very big difference. And that hasn't always been the case. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our expert panel this hour talking about the New South Wales state election scheduled for this Saturday, Mark Makovietsky from the Australian Christian Lobby, Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, John Anderson, former Nationals leader and former Deputy Prime Minister, and Roz Phillips from Family Voice Australia. Let's get into some of these survey details. Uh, Roz, you mentioned uh, when we were talking about the uh, Family Voice surveys uh, that, uh, that the Liberals and the uh, the Labor Party actually weren't all that fabulous in the way they responded. What are further thoughts from you, Ros Phillips, on on just where the major parties stand on the sorts of survey questions that you were asking? Well, the question that they both agreed with was on continuing the tradition of Christian prayers opening Parliament, and you couldn't separate them on that. Um, neither of them wanted to say where they stood on abortion. They just sort of indicated they wanted to help pregnant women. Um, Of course, that would be a conscience vote. Incidentally, the Greens not only answered that question in the negative, no, they certainly wouldn't uh, oppose any bill to legalise abortion. And what's more, they said it was such an important issue that they would introduce their own bill. So that showed you very clearly where the Greens stand. In fact, they were certainly open. They were very happy to say definitely not that they wouldn't support um, what we were proposing, whereas the other parties, the Coalition and Labor, tended to um, skirt around the question in an evasive sort of way. We also asked about filters in public libraries because we know of children who've come across porn because there are no filters and you can type in just uh, an innocuous phrase like Bob the Builder and suddenly a scene of pornography will come up. Uh, The libraries say, oh, we make sure that that doesn't happen, we patrol, we supervise. But the reality is they can't, they don't. And there are filters available that uh, if they block a site that's uh, a genuine site, then the... uh, Library staff can unblock it, so we believe there's no excuse, but neither the Liberals, uh, Liberal Nationals nor Labor would commit to requiring councils to install filters on public library computers to protect children, mm. and we believe that's very sad. Mm. Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, uh, the Christian Values Checklist, uh, another checklist that we have talked about before. There's a sense, isn't there, that if the Christians avail themselves of these surveys and these checklists, that they won't necessarily be wasting a vote because you can see at a glance uh, who you're voting for and the sorts of policies. Well, that's right, and uh, it's interesting that they're done in red red and green. So red is um, usually a, a white cross on a red background, and that means that it's not favourable to the question. So, again, it's very similar to what Roz had actually explained. We've got the CDP have a full column on the 21 questions of green backgrounds with ticks. So they are agreeing with the principles, starting with the opening of Parliament with Christian prayer um, and, and so on, um, family values in education, 
parental choice in Christian schooling and so on, but going on to some of the sexual integrity questions, uh, allowing councils to make decisions about local brothels, um, some of the sexuality questions, and, and we've already seen New South Wales go down the track of having relationship registers, of having same-sex adoption, adoption. So some of that is, would they be prepared to repeal that? And of course, nobody wants to go there. And so what, what we found and uh, on those, plus the Safe Schools Coalition, which in the Family Voice Survey, as well as in the Christian Values Checklist, all of them are promoting and supporting a, the Safe Schools Coalition, which is really a pro-homosexual program in the schools. And so it used to be that the Liberals and Nationals would have more green squares with ticks um, than certainly Labor and the Greens. Greens have almost all red crosses, except in the area of gaming machines and you know a general environment question. But Labor used to always have a lot of red crosses, and they still do... Um, mostly red crosses in theirs but liberal and national are actually got far more red crosses or red cross question marks uh putting them you know they're not really supportive of any of the, the christian principles and that's that's indicative too in the family voice survey i'll ask john anderson in just a moment about uh, changes in the conservative side of politics so uh, when you talk about those green squares and the red squares but but first of all uh, mark makovetsky from the australian christian lobby you guys also had uh, a policy questionnaire out uh, did it come up something similar to uh, the uh, the survey results from uh, the Christian Values Checklist and from the Family Voice Surveys? It certainly did, and it very much reflects what Ros was saying, where uh, they're, they're more or less the same and in a bad way. Uh, there were slight cha- slight differences on the freedom of conscience question that we posed. Uh, there was uh, an indication that the Liberals would hold the line and, and wouldn't water it down, whereas Labor said they'd address every case on a case-by-case basis. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, they're they're very much the same. Um, and, and just for for one note, just to add, uh, domestic violence was clearly the biggest response we got. There were a number of promises and the policy uh, policy proposals that they've brought in, uh, and I think this is in relation to Rosie Batty being the Australian of the Year and, and her campaign. So. Yeah, that's very, right. Very much, very much a similar story. John Anderson, uh, when we talk about the uh, survey results from these Christian surveys, and uh, a lot of people accessing these now, uh, getting insights into the parties, uh, that did appear to uh, be a reflection of a trend there in the conservative side of politics, moving more to uh, either uh, sitting on the fence on a lot of these, you know, important moral issues. Is this something that you've noticed, and is that a concern to uh, to the conservative side of politics? Well, I think we need to be realistic and recognise that democracy contains within itself the seeds of its own destruction. That's point one. Point two is that in the end, by definition, politicians in a democracy, if they're to ever win seats, can never be too far or too in front or behind where their electors are. They are a mirror image of us. And that's where society's going. And that's a huge challenge for those of us who are Christians. It really is. Um, I think the whole West, frankly, has lost its way. It's tied up in narcissism. Everyone thinks it's about them. Uh, if it's about you, then it's about your comfort and your convenience. Uh, we've stopped thinking about our children, so uh, in the interest of our own comfort, we've racked up unconscionable debts, um, you know, looking after ourselves. And when we haven't been able to, uh, 
meet our own needs. We've demanded of politicians that they give us more than we can really afford. That's the European problem, and we seem to be catching the disease here. So, you see, we're not concerned even that it seems for our children and our grandchildren as neighbours, let alone other people. The irony of it, of course, is that in an age when essentially the value we instill in our children is that you're the centre of your own universe, we see the ugliness of our own belief system when we see politicians who look like they're only in it for their own good and people cry, oh, they're in it for their own good, they're all lining their own nests, it's about us, don't they understand they're there to serve? Well, that isn't the prevailing ethos of the age, is it? So um, we've got a big problem as a society, and it's not surprising to me that increasingly that shows up uh, in the values of the political parties. The other problem we have it is, is that in an age of narcissism and of moral relativism, evidence-based, rational decision-making's gone out the door. The old... Voltaire attributed adage that I may disagree with you, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it has disappeared. And this issue that's come up from a couple of, uh, from Roz um, uh, and I think Jenny, uh, uh, you know, about party individuals being afraid to put their own views. Well, the, we live in an age now where you're a very brave person if you go out and put a different perspective because you know that your perspective's not going to be debated you're going to be personally denigrated. So a lot of good people now have given up. You do have to be... for our society. You have to be brave to be a politician in the current environment. It's Neil with you on 2020. Our preview of the New South Wales state election, it's to be held this Saturday. Our four guests this hour, our four guests on our expert panel, Mark Makovietsky from the Australian Christian Lobby, Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, John Anderson, former Nationals leader and former Deputy Prime Minister, and Roz Phillips from Family Voice Australia. We can talk a lot about the issues uh, when it comes to morality, uh, putting aside those economic issues for a few moments, I mean, there are a lot of issues, the same-sex marriage issue, abortion, euthanasia, uh, even attitudes to SRE, the special uh, religious education, uh, things like the Greens push to remove abortion from the Crimes Act. And there's this other issue that goes along with the same-sex marriage issue of Safe Schools Coalition. If I ask you first, Ros Phillips, uh, this Safe Schools Coalition Coalition does appear to be something of a deception. Oh, it does. The fact that it's called Safe Schools and it says it's anti-bullying makes people think, oh, this is a good thing, this is against all forms of, anti- of bullying. And certainly bullying is a big problem in our schools. But this program is really not talking about all forms of bullying, just the very min- small minority of children who may have transgender or same-sex attractions. And it ignores the the fatty, the nerd, all the other children who are bullied for all sorts of reasons, and it doesn't look at the underlying problem of bullying. There are lots of good programs out there that do this, but instead taxpayers' money is going into this deceptive Safe Schools Coalition, and we believe it is really uh, telling children uh, false ideas that if they're this way, they won't change, they can't change, so they should be able to wear dresses if they're boys and uh, play in uh, boys' sports teams if they're girls and use the change rooms and so on. We believe this is not helpful to the children and it's not helpful to the school as a whole. 
Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, this would all come under the banner in some sense of this whole same-sex marriage push and as uh, people outside of New South Wales looking in would probably look at uh, Sydney and uh, the status of New South Wales with the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras and they'd say they would be the most likely state uh, to have these sorts of uh, laws and this sort of focus. Uh, This whole issue with the Same Schools Coalition, uh, it's just a... uh, it's just a symptom of, of the bigger push towards the same-sex marriage. Well, I think that's right, and it's part of that normalisation of homosexuality, and I, I think John was alluding to that, that the West has lost its way, that, that all of these alternatives are being promoted. And, of course, from a Christian perspective, we would see that what is in the Bible is, is laid out as being you know, God's plan for marriage, family, life, is is the best way and what we see in our society is is lots of things are, are going against that and homosexuality is one of those and we see the homosexual lobby is very powerful so when it comes to new south wales on this um, homosexuality in schools they had a trial with 12 schools called the proud schools program a few years ago so this isn't a new thing for new south wales the safe schools coalition came about because it was set up as a program in victoria under the labor government uh, organized by gay and lesbian health which again was a, a a government-funded organisation at one of the major universities to promote um, and to write and to research. That's why we get so much research, because they're getting funding grants from government. And then at the federal government gave an $8 million promise and have given the first part of that uh, commitment in funding to the Safe Schools Coalition to expand that across the whole country. So in a way, it's a federal program. So the question is, will the incoming New South Wales government support schools in New South Wales adopting this program that they're getting federal funding for. And some of the parties tried to avoid it by saying, well, this is a federal program, you know, we're not responsible for funding it. And and it is coming from the federal government, from the previous Labor government had committed the funding. But New South Wales has been doing it before, as I said, with proud schools. And it's all part of the same push, that as we, as the homosexual lobby pushes for the normalisation of homosexuality, that comes out in a lot of ways. If they can persuade young people that homosexuality is normal and accepted, then it changes the view from the ground up, if you like, about marriage, which is sort of really about full acceptance of the homosexual life. And that's what I think we're seeing, is it's, it's all part of that same big picture from that homosexual perspective. And uh, we've already had the issue of uh, relationship registers have already been supported and, and passed in the New South Wales Parliament, and that gives homosexuals full relationship rights. Um, it's the marriage thing has already been debated in the New South Wales Parliament. And uh, back in 2013, the, the issue of state-based same-sex marriage was put before the New South Wales Parliament. And I think one of the concerning things in New South Wales is it was actually a cross-party group that has actually pushed the issue of same-sex marriage as a state issue. And there was someone from the Nationals, there was someone from the Liberals. So we've got uh, Bruce Notley-Smith from the Liberals, who is a homosexual in the lower house. He's, he's on that committee. Trevor Khan from the Nationals. And there were a Greens and a Labor. You've got all of these people pushing um, from a cross-party, and that's actually a dangerous <laughs> development, if you like, that we've seen in this last um, few years in New South Wales and will continue on after the coming election. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 
2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you. Our four special guests, Mark Makovietsky, Jenny Stokes, John Anderson and Roz Phillips. Uh, we're talking through these issues, the New South Wales state election on this Saturday. Uh, Mark Makovietsky, there are a few strange things, uh, new parties uh, and uh, different issues that various groups are pushing. Uh, what are the ones for you that come to mind? We see in the upper house is we have the Voluntary Euthanasia Party putting forward a candidate uh, or candidates. Uh, Shane Higson is at the top of that ticket, and uh, that's a concerted effort. And they've been trying to gain momentum in the media recently, but it hasn't worked. Uh, where they've been trying to stir up debate regarding euthanasia, but uh, as we know, surveys are suggesting that a large majority of Australians are in favour of it. And so this is part of that just consistent push uh, across across the country um, to get euthanasia brought in. Uh, the Greens are also pushing to remove abortion from the Crimes Act. Uh, that's another consideration uh, and, and battle level may have to face. And also Alex Granager's proposal to amend the Anti-Discrimination Act, uh, which awarded our protections for Christian schools. So a lot of, a lot of that will play out in the upper house uh, because the lower house is, is quite sympathetic, I would think, to a, a number of our issues. Ros Phillips, let me ask you about the Christian Democratic Party, uh, the balance of power in the upper house in New South Wales. Fred Niles played a leading role over 30 years. Uh, is there anything at risk this weekend? Yes, I think it's very important for Christians to acknowledge that Fred has done a wonderful job. And uh, although a lot seem to be reluctant to give him their number one preference, they say they'll put him number two, sadly that won't elect him. And I would encourage people to put number one for the Christian Democratic Party in the upper house and the lower house, and then number all their other preferences, including a major party. Because that way, even if CDP doesn't get up, then there'll be a major party. You will have two bites at the cherry, if you like. So uh, I think I would love to see Fred return because he's played a crucial role in the upper house. And indeed, if he's re-elected, he may indeed hold the balance of power. Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, the election nuts and bolts. Are there any anomalies that voters need to be on the lookout for? And uh, is there any special understanding that you need to have when you're filling out your ballot paper on the weekend uh, to get the most out of your ballot so that your vote is not wasted? Well, that's important, and we've actually uh, written up those with links to the actual election websites on our website at saltshakers.org.au. So you can actually read those and, and read through it. The important thing is that in the Legislative Assembly um, and the Legislative Council, the voting system is different to what happens in the federal election. So in the Legislative Assembly, you only have to put a number one. But we'd advise, just as Ros has mentioned, we'd advise that you start with um, your preference, say a CDP candidate, you can then preference your, your major, other smaller parties and then your major party that you prefer. You don't have to give it to then number the, the parties that you really totally disagree with, but it's important to put more than just one. So number as much as you can, including a major party. That's important. Um, it's, it's optional preferential, that's, that system's called. In the Legislative Council, you've got several ways of voting and it's not the same as voting in the Senate because you can vote a one above the line um, and that means that your vote will only go to the party, the candidates, the 15 candidates that are in that party. So if you put a one for the Liberals, then it will only, or Liberal National, it will only go to those 15 candidates. If you vote for one for CDP, it only goes to the CDP. So if you're going to vote above the line, it's important to number 
a number of parties and you can do that and it's different to the Senate so you can vote above the line in the boxes one, two, three, four and so on. But it's also important to think about voting below the line and if you vote below the line you have to number at least 15 preferences. Not the same as the Senate where you have to fill in virtually all of them. So you only have to number 15. But again, we recommend that you do more than 15 because if you decide to vote, say, first for the CDP and you number 1 to 15, your vote's going to exhaust at the end of that and it's not going to flow on to the next party of your preference. So we suggest that you vote more than that. Another reason for voting below the line is that some of the parties have as their upper candidates people that don't actually have the same moral perspective on issues as we do. So, for instance, I've been looking at the Liberal National Party and their number one candidate voted, uh, is on the public record as saying he supports same-sex marriage. Their number four candidate um, is actually uh, openly declared as a homosexual. And so you need to actually look at the character of what's happening within the major party preferences rather than just giving, oh, well, I'll vote number one to 15 down their list. So we actually need to consider the candidates as well um, when we're doing our preference votes below the line. Okay, so some special attention needed and there'll be some details, I guess, on the Salt Shakers website as to how you can cut through some of that confusion. John Anderson, let me ask you if... uh, Obviously, there's an upper house and a lower house in New South Wales. Uh, The federal... uh, illustration right now is that uh, it's a real difficulty getting any legislation through when there's a aggressive crossbench in the Senate. It's different in, a, in the states uh, slightly, but uh, the idea of a balance of power and uh, Fred Nile's history of 30-odd years uh, holding that balance of power in the New South Wales Upper House, uh, your perspective from a, being a former federal leader looking at the New South Wales situation and as a Christian, uh, is it something worthwhile to keep a Christian in the balance of power? Uh, well, I have a great respect for Fred. Um, uh, should place that on the record. Uh, I don't know that I have an easy and a good answer for that. You don't have an upper house in Queensland. Of course, it was abolished by a Labor government right back, I think, in the 1920s. We have them everywhere else. It was part of the understanding of the nature of man amongst uh, those who framed our constitution at that people are power corrupted and so you needed to make it diffuse, diffuse it and give everyone uh, uh, very real limitations and what have you on how much influence they could exercise and how long they could influence it for. But in an age like ours, a narcissistic age like ours, um, you know, you can end up with some very ugly situations indeed. And right across the Western world today, at a time when we need strong, decisive, capable, trustworthy and trusted leaders we see voters fragmenting power because they don't trust anyone. So we've got ourselves in a very difficult position. All I can say is good on you uh, and uh, my fellow panellists for all the hard work they do encouraging Christians to get involved. Can I say um, that's important and please develop a comprehensive Christian worldview um, because uh, you need to understand just how vast the gulf is between our worldview and the secularists' worldview Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, you know, whilst the secularists have the upper hand at the moment, the reality is that they are leading us into enormously dangerous waters, Um, not least of all, of course, because the West is now in its empty secular state, confronted by enemies within and without who are not secular uh, and are deeply passionate 
and deeply convicted of their answers to life's big questions, the, the questions that we're not even asking as a society anymore. We are in trouble. And so it's good that Christians everywhere seek to understand what is happening, use their vote wisely. And my final piece of, um, for what it's worth, advice for people voting on Saturday is please, please, please do not reward dishonesty. There's been too much of it this time round. But Blind Freddy can also see that there have been some candidates who have been very honest and very open and very transparent. I would urge voters to vote to uh, reward that integrity wherever they see it. Don't despair. It is there. Now, we are counting down towards the news. Uh, let's just get a, a quick impression, so you'll need to be fairly quick with uh, remarks. Uh, uh, the uh, predictions for the weekend, uh, wild swings in earlier elections in Queensland and in Victoria. Uh, first of all, Mark uh, Makovietsky, uh, your prediction for Saturday? Sounds like there's going to be a swing, around about perhaps 10% against the Liberal government, but uh, the Barrett government will be safely returned to power. Uh, how the Legislative Council uh, comes, that's another question. It could be quite challenging. Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, your thoughts on the outcome? Well, I think, um, as I say, the only poll that counts is on the day, so we often get polls, um, and perhaps the influence of some of the previous government elections, like Victoria and Queensland, are influencing people. They're, they're looking at what's happening with the federal parliament and trying to, you know, reflect that over onto state so you know the only poll that counts is the one that's counted on the day and then we'll know so i don't like to predict in that sort of way <laughs> ros phillips your thoughts about the outcome on saturday i share jenny's thoughts i remember in queensland some people were so sure that even though campbell newman would have a swing against him he'd be returned and when that didn't happen they were absolutely devastated um, I can't tell. And John Anderson, uh, the possibility of an accidental loss for the Liberal Nationals who are in the lead. No, I don't believe that will happen. I'm with Mark. I think uh, uh, Mark Baird will be returned. Uh, I can't predict what will happen in the upper house. Again, I just make my plea that I just hope people will not reward dishonesty. The means never justify the ends. Okay. Now, just to mention the websites of uh, Family Voice Australia, where you can access some of those Family Voice surveys. Also, lots of details about how you get an overall impression from the Salt Shakers website. Simply Google the names of these organisations. Also, the Australian Christian Lobby, who've had their policy questionnaire and lots of detail there. Uh, to our four guests for the hour, thank you so much for being part of it. Mark Makovietsky from the Australian Christian Lobby, Jenny Stokes from Salt Shakers, John Anderson and Roz Phillips from Family Voice Australia. Thank you to all four of you for being part of 2020 today. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.